We're in a series of studying the I am's in scripture. Jesus said seven times in the gospel of John, I am. So we've talked about Jesus being the bread of life. Last week, we talked about Jesus being the light of the world. And today he says, I am the door. So, uh, we, I was on a, I, I was at a trip, uh, out West. This was several, several years ago. And, and, uh, we were, I think we were in Flagstaff, Arizona. Uh, anybody been there? Great little town, right? And so I'd never been to Flagstaff, Arizona, downtown, whatever, walking around. And I came across this, this picture of this door in this shop. It was, it was, uh, I mean, everything was concrete, everything, everything was concrete, everything was cement, uh, everything was bland, everything had no color, it was winter, and so it was cold, and so this door came up, and it stuck out like a sore thumb, and so I liked it, I thought it was a, I thought it was intriguing enough that it should be explored, Right? Who's with me? Right? Yeah, right? So I decided that we should... I don't know if I thought we should or if there was some debate. All I know is I thought that there was nothing bad behind that door. Because look at it. It's red. It seems fun. It says, welcome, we're open, right? So we went into that... We went in through that door. And it turned out to be a weed shop. Yeah, it was, uh, I was wrong about what was behind that door. I, uh, you know, I, I realized that the door, the door tricked me, right? It tricked me into believing that there was something, I was going to say there was something fun behind that door, but it turned out there was something fun behind that door. Just wasn't my fun, right? And so, uh, clearly ended up leaving that shop without spending any money. At least that's the story I'm going to tell you. So we moved on. I'm just kidding. Please, I'm kidding. Okay, calm down, right? But I said I show you that because the door tricked me, right? The door, it, it was honestly, if you could have just seen the street and the, because this is on the back, sort of the back alley area, it just stuck out so much that the door intrigued me enough to want to pursue what was behind it. Jesus speaks about the door, right? So if, if you're familiar at all with the Gospel of John, the one thing I love about John's Gospel is it's, it's a narrative that builds to a crescendo. No other Gospel writer writes as much about Jesus' last week on earth than John does. And clearly part of that is the relationship that John has with Jesus being as close as he is. But basically from John 13 all the way through the end of the Gospel of John, we get eight chapters in an account of basically the last season, the last week of Jesus' life where the other writers have, have information but just not that intimate knowledge. The first 12 chapters of the Gospel of John is one narrative that builds and crescendos into animosity between Jesus and the Pharisees. That's the entire Gospel, right? It's one fight that starts innocent and then eventually builds to a crescendo. And in chapter 9, Jesus heals a man born blind. And if you've ever read John 9, you've read the story, right, of the guy that's born blind. And the question is, who sinned? Did this guy sin or did his parents sin? 
Because the belief was that that kind of physical handicap, right, that kind of issue was only given by God as punishment for sin. So somebody had to, either the parents did or he did, right? And Jesus says, neither of them sinned. Right. But he was he was made. Right. He was created this way so that God could get glory from this situation. So eventually this man comes into contact with Jesus, doesn't even know his name. Right. Eventually, through some spit and some mud. Right. This this guy who's been blind since birth finds sight. And all of a sudden, the religious Pharisees, right, are freaking out. Could how did a guy who was a, who was clearly the result of sin or a sinner himself, how did he get to see? Like, how does that happen in their world? And so they could not process it. And of course, if you want to read something funny, read the narrative between the man born blind and the Pharisees, because this guy's funny. He's one of the guys I want to meet when I go to heaven because he's very funny, sarcastic and very funny with the Pharisees. But they could not fit him in to their religious belief. It was not possible. Because it was sin that caused the malady, which meant if the malady was healed, if his ailment was healed, then sin was dealt with. You see why that was complicated? Because they were like, wait a minute, only God can deal with sin. And God's already told us as the leaders how to deal with sin. You got to go through the temple, right? You got to buy this thing. You got to offer a sacrifice. You got to pay your penance. You've got to use us. To be right with God. This guy's blind. And now he's not. And we're having problems. Because our religious narrative. Doesn't allow for that thing. He says. All I know. Is a guy did this. And a guy did that. And now I can see. That's it. He didn't know anything about him. He'd never gone to church. Hadn't gone to study the Bible. He just was blind. And now he sees. And he believes. And this just completely tips completely tips the Pharisees over. And so at the end of chapter 9, I didn't give this to you, Mike, and that's fine. I'm just going to read it. And and while you're at it, Mike, the verse that's sitting there is John 1, 1. It's John 10, 1 through 10. So at the end of chapter 9, here's what it says. Jesus heard, because ultimately the Pharisees finally threw the, the guy out of their temple. They couldn't stand his narrative anymore. It made no sense. They didn't believe him. So they cast him out, right? And at the end of chapter 9, Jesus says, it says that Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said to him, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you've now seen him. In fact, he is the one that's speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment, I've come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard this and they asked Jesus, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you wouldn't be, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. So these people in the religious beliefs, right, 
had convinced themselves that they were right with God and that they had a clear vision of God and everything else. And Jesus said, because you believe that, you're guilty. If you were actually blind, like this guy was, you wouldn't be guilty. Because we know from other passages, Jesus came to save sinners. Amen? Blind people, blind people know they need help. These Pharisees thought they were fine. So chapter 10, even though it's a break in our Bible, isn't a break in this narrative. It just continues. It just continues into this conversation where a blind guy gets healed by Jesus and the Pharisees are like, sin was involved here. So how does this guy have his sight? Because only God can deal with sin. And basically the blind guy tells them, this guy did it. And they're not having that Jesus has anything to do with God. That's been building and been building and been building. And this miracle puts them on the tipping point and the raising of Lazarus absolutely just breaks the floodgate open. But I want to read chapter 10 in this narrative of this blind guy getting his sight and the Pharisees struggling mightily to rationalize this. So if I'm going to ask you to stand, we're going to read 10 verses here in John 10. Just out of respect for the word of God, let's read this. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, that the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in some other way, He's a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. When he's brought out all his own, he goes out on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, They're going to run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Verse 6, Jesus used this figure of speech, not a parable, right? A figure of speech, totally different Greek word, right? He said, I used this figure of speech, but they didn't understand what he was telling them. So now he's going to reframe the conversation. Therefore, Jesus said it this way. I tell you the truth. I am the gate or the door for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and he will go out and he will find pasture. The thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy. Kill, steal, and destroy who? The what? The sheep, right? Jesus says, I've come. I've come that they, the sheep, may have life and have it to the full. You can be seated. So I told you when we did this, start, three three Greek words for life, right? Bios, right, which is biology, right? It's the idea of the molecular structure. It's life at a cellular level. They're suke. Right? Suke is where we get the word psychology from in the English language, right? It's that whole life and the meaning of existence, right? It's the idea that it's better to be alive than dead. Everybody got that? That's suke. Jesus, in every I am statement, references his identity as I am the bread of life, 
right? I'm the light of the world. And he claims that his identification as bread or as light or the door, every one of those claims is connected to the word life, zoe. So what Jesus is saying is, I am. I have always been, will always be, right, the source of Zoe. And each one of these defining characteristics teaches us something about how to obtain that life. Who in here watching online and who in here listening would like to have a better life? Right? Man, we spend billions Right? We spend tons of money on trying to have a better life. Go to any bookstore and you will find that the number one section in almost every bookstore is the section for self-help. Always. Right? It's the number one lane where people get published is self-help books. Right? Because why? People are looking for something better. Right? They're looking for a better life. They're looking for Zoe. Zoe is the combination of a molecular life, the meaning of life, and everything that makes life full. Right? And John said at the end of John, he said, I write these things to you so you may believe that Jesus, right, is the Messiah, and in believing in him, you will have Zoe, life. Listen, Jesus' claim has always been in me, you'll get more than bios. You'll get more than suke. You'll get more than biology. You'll get more than psychology. You will get life. You'll get more. Listen, I don't know very many. I, I know some, right? And I'm not talking about there's, listen, there's days that we're all content with our life, right? There's moments and, and days and even seasons where our life feels satisfying. But there's... Also, lots of seasons and times where our lives don't feel satisfying. They feel empty. They feel unfulfilling, right? They feel confusing. They feel like compared to other people, it could be a lot more, right? There is always a desire in people to have more. And Jesus said, if you want that, you're going to get it in me. And so here, right here, he's in a situation where sin Right? Sin has caused confusion because the blind guy, according to Jewish leaders, was blind because there was sin involved. Now the guy's healed, which means somebody dealt with this guy's sin problem. And the only guy present, the only guy that the blind guy keeps referring to is who? Jesus. And the Pharisees are left to wonder this. Do we believe that Jesus is capable of dealing with our sin problem? Because if he is, then that means he's God. And that wasn't going to work for the Pharisees. So they throw him out of the temple. And Jesus says to them, in the first six verses, he tries to explain to them that he's the good shepherd. Now next week, we're going to talk about Jesus being the good shepherd. So we're not going to spend any time on it this week except to say this. There were two kinds of sheep, two kinds of sheep pens. Right? If you, if you led your sheep into a town, okay, there were large sheep pens that lots of shepherds could put their sheep in at night. There would be a gate, an actual swinging gate. The door would be opened by a hired servant, right? An under shepherd who would open the gate, allow the sheep to come in, and then he would close the gate, and those sheep 
would go to the pen. Well, the problem is my sheep were in there. Your sheep were in there. Your sheep were in there. A bunch of different people's sheep were in the pen. Well, how do those sheep know who to go with in the morning? They go because they hear the voice of the shepherd and they go, oh, that's, that's the guy I follow. It's a unique skill. But Jesus says anybody who goes into that pen without the permission of the gatekeeper who's opening the door, that person is just a thief and a robber. He explains all this to him and the Pharisees are looking at him like, we don't get it. That don't make no sense to us. So Jesus stops trying to use a figure of speech and makes the statement, I am the door. So let me show you the other kind of sheep pen. So I'm going to give you just a couple examples of it here. These are ancient ruins found over in the Middle East, right? So shepherds would take their sheep out to graze on the fields and the plains and the hills, right? And then night would fall. And what the shepherds would do is they would build these makeshift sheep pens for the sheep to go into at night with this small opening. Here's another one, right? Built out in the pasture, right? A little gate, right? Opening. But you notice there's no door here, right? Everybody see that? There's no door. So when Jesus says, I am the door, what he was referring to was when these shepherds would bring their sheep into this pen that was out on the mountainside and not in the town, this is what it would look like. Right? There would be an enclosure that would be made up of rocks and boulders across the top of those boulders. Usually there would be a layer of thorns, right? To keep the wolves out at night. And then whatever the opening was, the shepherd would lay down and make his bed across that door. Thereby saying to anything that wanted to get to these sheep, I am the what? door. I'm the door, right? I'm the one that's going to let you come in. I'm the one that's going to let you go out. And so when Jesus says this to the Pharisees, every one of them knew what he was talking about. They'd seen it thousands upon thousands of times. Well, what does it take or what does it say about Jesus in this picture? The guy that's willing to be the door. Because that's a heck of a commitment, isn't it? You're in the middle of the you're in the middle of the hillside, the countryside. You've got fifty to seventy five sheep, and there's wolves, and there's all kinds of wildlife. There's thieves and robbers out there, and the only defense between these innocent sheep and the thief or that wolf is that guy right there. It's quite a statement, isn't it? I am. The door. So I'm just going to point out a couple things that I think this says to you and me in regard to Zoe. Again, every week I preach this, it's going to be to help you understand the life that Jesus wants to give you, right? We listen, we talk about this all the time. And I am assuming I'm speaking to an intelligent crowd. Yes or no? All right. Some of you not sure yet. Just curious, right? I'm assuming there's a level of understanding in this room, right? Listen, following 
Jesus, being a Christian, means there are some things that we're asked not to do. Yes or no? 100%. Now, how many of you either have been or are or have been a child or raised a child or are raising a child? And I'm not talking about a baby. I'm talking one that can talk back to you. Right? Much, much different. Are there some things out of love that you were ever asked by your parents not to do or things that you, out of love, have asked your children not to do? Yes or no? And do you find those requests completely acceptable to give to your children? 100%. And how do you feel when your child looks at you and acts like you're the worst human being in the world because you've asked them not to do this or say this or go that place? How do you feel about their rejection? Oh, I'm only doing this because I love you. Whatever, mom. Hi. Right? How do you feel about that? Do you appreciate that? No, no, because here's what you know. Love at times requires sacrifice. We just have to listen to this idea that you got to, if you love me, you just love me for who I am. Come on. That's crazy. Love isn't the kind of thing that says you just take me for who I am all the time, no matter what. Thank God, God does that. But even God says, now that you have accepted my love, here's what you do in response to that love. There's just some things you don't do, right? Does that make God a bad God? Oh, but forever and a day, that's how it was portrayed in church. He was just a God of a big rule book. And all we ever preached about was, these are things you shouldn't do. And we caught you doing it. So you're going to hell, right? That's pretty much the way we talked in church, right? And if we didn't catch you, just let you know, we're looking to make sure we catch you, right? And if we didn't catch you, we're pretty sure that you're still doing it. So we're still going to treat you that way. That's what we did. And now we are in church and we're swinging so far the other way that God's love, he can tolerate anything. And it doesn't matter what you do, however you are, God's going to love you no matter what. I hate us, right? Why can't we get this right? It's not that complicated, right? It's just that there are some things you do, right, out of love, but it doesn't make God, right, this horrible God because he says, you shouldn't get drunk. That doesn't make God bad. Or he says, you shouldn't have sex outside of marriage. That doesn't make God bad, right? Maybe because God loves us, he knows to ask us not to do those things. Just like we as parents at times ask our kids not to do things, even though they don't get it, we know it's out of love. You get that? Why can't God be the same way? Oh, he can't be, right? That's just the way it is. And so, yeah, there are things we shouldn't do because God loves us. I'm going to assume that in this room, we're all mature enough to understand that. Agreed? Yes or no? All right. Here's the first thing I want. Did I, sh- did I, did I say that? All right. Let me show that first point. Enter to be saved, right? So these people are outside. The sheep are outside, right? They're on the hill. It's nighttime. We got to get, we got to get into the pen because if we don't get into the pen, guess what? We're exposed to wolves and thieves and robbers and snakes. Every bit of danger is outside of the pen. Jesus says, right? In John 10, he says, I'm the door, right? I'm the door. He who enters through 
me will be what? We say the Greek word there is the Greek word sozo, which means to rescue. It's the word translated in scripture, salvation. It means to rescue. It means to restore, right? It means to save. So Jesus says, remember, you got a blind guy who's got a sin problem. And now the blind guy can see, which means the sin problem has been dealt with. And the Pharisees are like, that can't be true because only God can deal with sin. And Jesus isn't God. So they kicked him out. Jesus says, I am the guy. Matter of fact, he says, I'm the door. And the only way to be saved is to go through who? Is to go through me. Now, who can go through me? Who? Everyone. So this idea that having one savior makes us, makes us an, a, an exclusive group that's not open to everybody is insane because guess what? Guess who can go through the door? Everyone. Right? That makes us the most inclusive religion in the entire world. Right? That anyone can enter. And unfortunately, again, what have we done in churches? We've made following Jesus an incredibly exclusive club. You gotta be the right color. You gotta wear the right clothes. Right? You gotta go to the right church. You gotta say the right words. You gotta have the right hairstyle. You gotta have the right jewelry. You gotta have the right, you see what we've done? We've made the door that's open to anybody so incredibly difficult to get through that now we are divided as a faith community. We've got a church on every stinking corner. Why? Because we've decided that Jesus's doorway is only exclusive to certain people. Wow. I'm not sure that's what Jesus meant. Do you? Jesus's door is a doorway for all who would want to enter it, but you have to come through him. Let's read a couple. Let's read a couple scriptures here. Okay. Mark or Matthew chapter one, 20 and 21. It says, after he had considered this, this is Joseph. An angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream and says, Joseph, right, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what's conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. You're to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will sozo. He'll rescue, restore, save his people from their what? From their sins. How about this one? Romans chapter 10, 9 through 13 says this says that if you confess with your mouth, everybody say it, right? If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be, you're going to be saved. For it's with your heart you believe and are justified. It's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. There's no difference between what? A Jew and a Gentile. There's no difference between a black person and a white person. There's no difference between a man and a woman. There's no difference between a rich person and a poor person, right? It says it's same Lord is the Lord of who? Of all and richly blesses all who call on him for everyone. Everybody say the word everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be. Man, what a terrible injustice. Yeah. What a terrible injustice we've done to the gospel that we've made it available to certain people. And we've made it the kind of gospel that caters to certain kind of people. I mean, listen, do you know that there are, there were, there were decades where there were certain kinds of people that would never go to church ever. 
Because church was the last place they'd ever feel welcome. And then we've gone into this society now where a good good friend of mine, or a friend of mine, I probably wouldn't say good friend, but a friend of mine, who's a pastor up in Chicago, right, celebrates, celebrates when they have Christmas Eve services, because they had 13 of them one year, right? And one year, they went into the bathroom after service to clean it, and there was pot in the, in the bathroom stall, right? There was, a, and he celebrated it because he said, finally, those kind of people are finally coming to church to hear the gospel, to go through the door, right? Listen, the only way to be saved is to get through who? Jesus, because he's the what? The door. And how many people do we believe has to be saved? All. Which means we've got to let people who aren't like us walk through the door. We've got to get over this fascination that somehow we need to strip them of who they are, make them like us to get them through the door. No. The only reason that Jesus said as narrow is the way that reads to life is because there's how many doors? One. That's how it's narrow. Because there's only one door. The world will tell you there's all of these options, right? There's all of these, there's all of these possibilities. There's only one. It's Jesus. Nobody's going to get saved through Tomoka Christian Church. Nobody's going to get saved by going to Calvary. Nobody's going to be saved by going to Riverbend or Salty. Nobody's going to be saved by John MacArthur, right? Nobody's going to be saved by Andy Stanley or Joe Pudding. The only way anybody's going to be saved is if they go through who? Jesus. You got to go through Jesus. Romans 8 says this in verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until the present time. Not only so, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Anybody here groan as they wait for all this to come to an end and for Jesus to finally win and we get out of this. Anybody groan in anticipation of that? Yeah. At times it's, it's frustrating. It's hard. He says, for in this, we hope for in this hope, we were what? Okay. In this what? Hope. Hope of what? That one day he's coming. To redeem this entire place. That he's going to clean it up. Start it over. And we won't have to deal with it again. He says in that hope. We were what? Saved. Listen. We live in the already but not yet. We live in the place where going through the door saves us. If you've gone through the door. And you know Jesus say amen. Right. He says also. Because in that verse. Where Jesus says, I'm the door, all who enter through me will be saved. It is a future indicative tense in the Greek, which means it is a real action with a future consequence, a future moment. So what he's saying is, listen, we've been saved in that what? Hope. Listen, you've got something that you're hoping comes to fruition when this all comes to the end. That is your salvation. Amen? We live here. Did you read the headlines today? Did you see any of them? Oh, man. Some good stuff happening in our world today. You should check it out, right? Matter of fact, go back over the last month and just sort of check out some of the horrible things that are happening in our in our nation. Don't even look at the world. Just ignore the world, right? Just look at the United States of America and just read some of the headlines. It's a rough place. And guess who's living in it? 
We are. We are. We live in a world, right, where tragedy happened at Advent Hospital this past Saturday. I mean, tragedy, right, of, of, of a kind of pain that you can't even imagine, right? And now the woman, right, who perpetrated the act is sitting in a jail with no bond, and she's 70 plus years old. Do you think her life is going to be rosy the rest of the way? No, it's going to be awful. And you know what? She's one of millions of people living in this place, groaning, groaning for the day of redemption. But he says we were saved in this what? You see, here's the thing about the door. It's not just a way to be saved. It's also the promise of our hope. It's the promise of our rescue. It's the promise of our redemption, our restoration. And I'm going to be honest with you. There's days it's the only thing you've got to hang on to. Because your marriage stinks. Right? Your marriage stinks. Your kids are a mess. Right? They've walked away. They don't have anything to do with you. You got fired. The doctor said you've got cancer. Right? You just name it. You throw it out there. Whatever it is, you, you, you just name it. There are days that following Jesus is just painful. It's hard. There's no light. There's no hope. Right? But he says, here's one thing we can cling to. We've been saved in this what? Hope. In this hope. And what's the hope? That if you go in through me, you will be what? You'll be saved. And listen, I'm going to be honest with you. If your faith isn't such that that hope is enough to get you from point A to point B, from one day to the next, you're going to struggle following Jesus. Because if you believe that following Jesus means every day is a trip to Six Flags or Disney, you're going to be devastated. There are days where it is dark and Disney is closed. And there's no joy. And you know what you cling to? You cling to the fact for in this hope we were saved. This idea that it's already mine, but not yet. And when Jesus says, I'm the door, he's not only providing one way and the only way to get into salvation and to be rescued, right? He's also saying that in that there is hope. There's all kinds of hope. He says, for in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not what? It's not hope at all. Listen, I'm hoping the Chicago Bears figure it out and get a Super Bowl. Right? I'm hoping. But because you haven't seen them win one, you think my hope is stupid, right? But I'm telling you, my hope, my hope isn't hope if I see it. Right? There's no hope in that. And yet that's the way we want most of our faith to be. God, show me. 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 And God, if you show me, then I'll hope and I'll trust. No, he says, what is hope if it is seen? It's not hope at all. What is hope? Hope is not seen. Which means there are days when you can't see what God is promising. you got to trust him. And when Jesus says, I'm the door... And anybody who comes through me will be saved. Future indicative tense. This is why studying scripture is so important. What you hear from him is you will receive this. This is a promise. I'm not taking it away and you can hope in it. But there's no sun today, God. There's no joy today, God. There's no fun today, God. There's nothing today, God. There's bad news and there's no news, but there's no new, no good news. So what do we do? He says you hope and what you're saved. 
You hope in it. And you let that be enough to get you through the day. Because he says, for if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it how? I'm like, who is he writing this to? Like if we want something that we hope for, how many of you wait patiently for it? Not very many of us. But he says, you can wait patiently for it. Why? Because the tense of his saving is future. Meaning it's promised it's promised and God won't lie to you. He won't lie to you. So we enter to be saved. Let me read another verse here to you. Hebrews seven. He says there, the writer of Hebrews says there've been many of those priests, priests that have died since death prevented them from continuing in office. You get a high priest, they live, they die. You got to get a new one. He says, but because Jesus lives, how long? Forever. He has a permanent priesthood. He says, therefore, he is able to what? Sozo completely. Everybody say the word completely. Completely. He's able to save completely those who come to God through Jesus. Because he's always lives to intercede for them. I'm the door. The only way to get in is to come through me. And here's the, here's the thing about that. When you enter to, enter to be saved, Right? You enter the only door, which is Jesus, which means we have to tell who about the door. And we don't stand guard over the door. It's not your door, right? You get away from the door. Let Jesus decide who comes and who goes, right? And God's not hired any of us to be security guards over the door. Can I get an amen? Right? Let's, let's let him be in charge of the door. But let's understand the statement is a promise of hope too. It's a promise of hope. If you go through Jesus, you will be saved. It's the already, but not yet. But you can trust in it. But then he says you can do this. If you go through him, you've got someone who will save you how? Say completely. 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 That means you not only have hope, you can have all kinds of confidence before God. Because listen... Listen, following God and responding to God out of love isn't something we always do very well in our lives. Yes or no? We don't. Listen, there are moments and seasons where we're selfish and our love for God isn't going to change the way we behave. Yes or no? (coughs) The biggest struggle I see with Christian people is what do you do in those seasons? Nobody struggles to come to this church or to watch online and to sing and to listen to preaching if they're doing everything right. Hang on, just talk among yourselves. I need a drink. Listen, nobody struggles with that. Everybody, most everybody I know struggles to come to church when you're not doing very good. When you're not acting very loving toward God. And instead, you're sort of being selfish. I want to do this. I'm mad. I'm hurt. I'm angry. Right? I want to get drunk. I just don't want to be kind to people. I want to be mean. I want to say mean things. Right? I don't want to be faithful. I want to do all these things. And there are seasons that every Christian goes through that's just like that. Yes or no? What do you do with that? What do you do with that? Here's what most of us do. We take a step back from church. We wait till we get ourselves all ship-shaped and in line. And then we come back to church. Why? Here's why. Because we don't trust that God will save us completely. We just don't. And you know what that communicates to your children who are watching you? Because you're the one dragging them to church. You know what it communicates to your children? You don't trust. You don't believe. You know who you believe in? You believe in you. I'm good so I can go to church. 
Well, why am I going to church this week, Daddy? Because I'm bad. We won't say it, but that's what we're saying. That's what they see. That's why the Bible says that you have a high priest that sympathizes with your struggles. And all you got to do is come to him when you need mercy and grace. Instead of hiding, right, like Adam and Eve did, which is the natural, natural response. He says, why don't you just trust in me? Because guess what? If you come to Jesus, he can save you. How? Everybody say completely. Completely. Which means you can have confidence. Right? I, I think that's a positive thing. Here's the, here's the last thing real quick. Exit to be satisfied. Right? John 10.10 10 says this. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Jesus says, I've come that you can have life, Zoe, and have it abundantly. Right? How many of you have ever quoted that verse? How many of you like that verse? Of course you do. Here's what I want to know. How do you define abundantly? How many of you are, are rich between beyond your wildest imagination? Right? How many of you have never ever had any problem with your children? You got the perfect house, the perfect car, the perfect life, and you would describe your life as completely abundant. Anybody? No. It's one of those verses that makes me angry. Because I don't know how to define it. I have followed Jesus now for 42 years of my life. And Jesus says, I've come the cord that you can have life and have it abundantly. I feel like Jesus doesn't want me to respond to that. So he's cutting me off. But I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like that verse has lied to me. Because I've struggled with that. Because I wondered when I was using the outhouse where my abundance was. I wondered at times when we had no car to get to town. And if we needed to go to the doctor, we had to walk two miles just to my grandma's house to find a car to get to a doctor. I wondered where the abundance was at. I've wondered where the abundance was at when my son died. Then my wife left and the church fired. There's been seasons in my life where Jesus said, if you come to me and you don't follow the thief and the robber, you won't deal with things that steal, kill, and destroy, but you'll have life, zoe, and it will be abundant. The Greek word paris, P-E-R-I or peri or P-E-R-I-S, paris, right, transliterated into English, means excessive. It means surplus. You'll have more than enough. Go to Guatemala. And I wonder where that God is at. Spend a week in Haiti. And I wonder where that God is at. I spend a week in Africa. And I wonder where that God is at. And this verse makes me angry. Because I don't know how to define abundance. Yes, there are moments. There are moments that I feel like my life is abundant. Yes. 100%. And... And, and if I told you what made me feel like my life was abundant, you would laugh at me and tell you, tell me how silly I am. But for me, it's abundance. And you would tell me what makes your life feel abundant, and I would probably judge you, okay? Just kidding. Just kidding. But how do we define it? How do we define when Jesus says, I've come that you can have life and have it abundantly? Because for me, everything about this passage... Right? Everything about this passage is built upon what Jesus says in verse 9. And in verse 9, here's what Jesus said. He said, of, of those who go through him. Right? So if you've walked through the door and you've gone through Jesus, you've confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart, right? And if you've done that, say amen. Okay? This is for you. Verse 9. He says, I'm the gate. 
Whoever enters through me will be saved. And we all say, Amen. Listen to what he says. He says, he, the person that's saved, will come in and go out and what? Find pasture. Then he says in verse 10, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But I've come as the door so that you can have life, zoe, and have it what? Abundance, surplus, excessive. So here's what we're going to do. Because I love my children's team and I don't want them to rebel in me. We're going to end tonight here. And next week I'm going to answer, we're going to answer this question. Because I don't know about you, but there's been times, first of all, I struggle to teach it. Because I can tell you in this room right now, there's an inequality of, there's an inequality of abundance in this room. There are those that have an extra car sitting at home that they don't even need to drive most of the time. And there are other people in here that don't have a car and would love to have one. There are people in here that have extra rooms in their house they're not even using as anything other than storage. And there are people here that are living in their cars. There are people here that have more food stored away than they would know what to do with. And other people in this room and watching online that have no idea they're going to get a meal tomorrow. And so I wonder what it means when Jesus says, if you come through me, you'll be saved. Because I'm the door. But once you get into the door, you'll go in and you'll also go out and find pasture. And here's why. Because I've come that you can have life and have it to the full. Because I don't know what that means if we all don't get the same thing. I don't understand how that works. So I want to take a little time to do that and, and not rush through it. So I'm just going to pray. And uh, we're going to just give God thanks for being the doorway. Amen. And we're going to give God thanks that we get to be a part of the church, be a part of a church that believes in letting anybody and everyone come through the door by knowing Jesus. Amen, church. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for letting us gather together. I Listen, I love your word, God. I love it. I love it. I'm so grateful uh, to be able to teach it. I do pray that every time you ask me to or I'm allowed to, Lord, that you teach me first and foremost what your word means and what it says. And, Father, if I'm ever off or if I'm ever uh, misrepresenting your truth, Lord, I pray that you would either speak to me through your spirit or speak to me through one of my brothers or sisters in Christ, Father, to, 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 to show me the error of that teaching. But, Father, we are grateful that you're the door. We're grateful there's no other way. We're grateful that you're willing to sit in that door, that you're willing to lay down your life so we could be saved. Father, we're grateful for that. May we never be a people that forget that blessing. May we never be people that take it for granted. And may we always be aware of every sheep that's outside of the pen, that's being attacked by the wolves and by the thieves and by the robbers. Lord, help us to be the kind of people that tell others about this door. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless your church.